Welcome, everybody. Uh, oh, well, so, so people can uh, hear us online. Okay, great. Thank you. So, this is our first class, Genjo Koan. And what our understanding is of the Genjo Koan. So let me ask you. I see a number of you that were at the Sashin. At everyone here. Not quite. But, but uh, and I don't know about online screens a little far away from us, but I, I trust some of you were and some of you were not. So how many of you had a chance to read the material? Oh, one, oh my goodness, one, uh, one through five. Okay. Um, well, good. You can hear a reading of it. <laughs> Just kidding. So tonight, uh, I want to, uh, what we're going to do, uh, Jerry and I planned this out, is uh, we're each going to give our, how our understanding of each, uh, section, and then we're going to ask for questions. Come on in, Dan. Uh, 
your questions, and then we'll also give you some prompts that will help stimulate uh, uh, what the schedule calling is all about. So, <clears throat> what I wanted to do is just briefly review the sections one and two. Jerry touched on three first, so then we can, and then we'll go into three, four, five. This is a so the flow is a little, a little better. Excuse so, me. I don't know what you're talking about in terms of the sections. Oh, okay, Ken. Or, uh, I think that was Stan. More for the te was that mostly for the teachers rather than the people is that right? having the section? Oh. Susan? Um, I don't think you have to worry about that, Stan. Okay. Well, uh, all right. So what I'll do is I will say the sentence. Okay. And then, Great. And then we'll. You're talking, about, you're talking about the sections of the Genjo column. Yes, yes. Okay, and it, somehow you've divided it up. Yeah, it okay. was divided up for us in terms of how we would teach it. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> as Jerry talked about on Saturday, explaining in the first two sections, uh, that, well, I, I think it's for, for me, it's, uh, the first, I think it's four sentences, are really the crux of the, the Genjo Koma, and the rest is commentary. So then it goes on and on with the commentary. And <clears throat> Sojin, I, I wanted to tell you about this tape that I read, and I really recommend it. It's, you know, online, UCC's website, under the talks. And he gave this May 20th, 2010. And it really elicits this, these first three sections. So if you get a chance, it's worth listening to. And so as Jerry said, Dok and Zenji, this is his most important work of the 96 fascicles he read. He felt this was the most important and You'll see all through this koan that he's taken from, you know, other koans from our ancestors. So it's, it's really about us, our life, and how we're going to live our life. And, and also I want to say, this koan is really your interpretation. We're going to give our interpretation. But it's you to discover what is this for you? What is your co-op? How does this demonstrate in your life? And it's really about where is your life right now? Where do you stand right now at this moment? What's important right here, right now? Where am I not seeing clearly or readily? What am I deluded about? What stories am I telling myself? It includes the activities, all the activities of our life. And what it means is different for everyone, as I just said. And we're here to discover what is our angel co-op. And so as Sojin says, and I like these words that he said, the best way is to not try to figure it out. So it's really not a head thing. It's really trying to get in Dokin and Zenji's mind. 
So it, it, it does require us being flexible and open and being creative as we meet every moment in our life. So let's go into the first section, uh, which is, I'll read the sentence again. As all things are Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, birth and death, and there are Buddhas and sentient beings. Now what this is talking about is the world before. The world we mostly live in, probably. Uh, and and um, this is mostly we see ourselves as separate. We think that we are real. This is a not that we're not real, but we are just an individual standing alone. And we see everything as separate. This cup is separate. It's made by someone, and now it's, it has its, its own essence. And all, all of life is seen that way. So we call that duality or the relative world. So it's the warm of form. And there's no connection with anything else. As I say, we're just seeing as its own essence. So that's form. And then the second sentence of Dokutsenji's is the Buddha way is basically leaping clear of the many of the one. Thus, there are birth and death, delusion and realization, sentient beings and Buddhas. I'm going to stop there. I'm sorry. You know what? I did say it wrong. Did I say the, did I say the third? That's also, that's the second. Okay, the second, I'm sorry. As the myriad things are without an abiding self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddha, no sentinity, no birth and death. So this is the world of absolute, we call it absolute or emptiness, non-dual. So here we see everything connected. And we, we're not separate. We realize we're connected with everything and everyone. And everything's connected. It's like Indra's net. Everything is connected. And it's that interbeing is that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about. So that's, we've gone through form, emptiness, and now the third thing is this, the, the Buddhist way is basically leaping clear of the many of the one. Thus, there are birth and death, delusion and realization, sentient beings and Buddha, Buddhas. So now we see both form and emptiness. And this is the world I think we mostly live in. Kind of surf from one thing to the other. Sometimes we might be in that world of form, that, that separate self operating as an individual. And other times we really see our interconnectedness. Uh, there was that analogy about the ocean and the waves. You know, the ocean is the emptiness. It goes on forever. And the waves are an individual. That's each wave is, say, each wave is us, surfing the waters, up and down. 
So the second part of that, so those are the three things. What some, some writers, commentators say are the most important, but I like to add this fourth one because I think this is sort of the crux of the whole thing. And that is, In, yet in attachment, blossoms fall, and in aversion, weeds spread. That's our life. That's reality. That's how it is. We have our attachments, so many disappointments, brings up those, all those emotions when we attach to something and Things don't go our way. All the emotions, anger, frustration. It's not what we wanted. It's not what we expected. And yet, and yet, aversion, and it, yet weeds spread. So there, you know, we're trying to, with all the things we don't like, we try to turn away. And that, that's our life. We felt that rising and falling. And this is what we are working with all the time. This is what our practice is. I like some of these different translations too. For example, um, Suzuki Roshi, we have life and death, ignorance and enlightenment. People are Buddhists. However, flowers fall with our attachment and weeds grow with no detach, detach, detachment. And Hakuin, he says, simply, simply, flowers fall. Mid are longing and weeds spring up. Mid are antipathy. That, that is life. Sums it up. What, what's the second part you said? Weeds. weeds. Oh, uh, well, Hawkwood says, and weeds spring up amid our antipathy. That's how he says it. Uh, I would say aversion, aversion, weeds spread in our aversion. So it's that turning away. We're either going forward or going or, or turning away. That's that is that's our reality. And yet that's why we're here. When we wake up and see this, uh, we can have we can loosen our grip. So the question is for me is how do we deal with these attachments? and aversions. How do we deal with these attachments? I'm going to read you a column that uh, summarizes this too. This was Dongshan, uh, case 98. One day when Dongshan and a monk were washing their bowls, they saw two crows fighting over a frog. The monk asked, why is it why does it always have to be like that? <laughs> and Dongshan replied, It's only for your benefit, honored one. 
So the question is, how can we use these attachments and aversions to benefit us? I want to share Say your comments. Somehow we get from the second, the second sentence, um, yeah, that we're leaping clear. This idea of leaping clear, which is the which is the heart of the, of Dogen's teaching. It's yes, we all know the heart sutra. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Is form. And even form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. But Dogen puts it, pushes it further. Emptiness is form, emptiness is empty, form is form, everything is everything. So there's no separation, there's not an intellectual thing about looking at the definitions that we're all swimming in a sea of phenomenon coming and going and coming. And that this leaping clear is making leaping clear of making any distinctions including calling something emptiness, calling something delusion, calling something um, enlightenment. All of these things are terms that we use to try to concretize things. And Dogen is saying you can't do that. When the minute you put your foot down, the minute you open your mouth and say the word, you've already made something of it. So this ocean metaphor that uh, Carol talked about is swimming in this ocean of waves and fish and plants and whatever and they're coming and going every moment um, and the minute if we try to put words on it we get caught and the, the thing that's Sojin reminds us over and over again throughout this is so when we practice, when we sit zazen, when we, when we allow um, all of these things to just arise and be with us and come and go and see them, uh, it's inevitable, he says. He says the, the three poisons of greed, hate, and delusion are always present so that we have to practice continuously, moment to moment, and make choices about how we respond to what comes up. Oh, here's desire again. Oh, here's aversion. Here's grasping. So our practice is actually the practice of moment to moment, as Carol talked about, 
seeing these key things come and go and it, recognizing them not as something that's unusual or shouldn't happen. It, it's nothing that should or shouldn't happen. It just happened. So there's no shoulds, there's no correct response. There's a response and there's our response and our working with these things and being done and not not trying to put them in some box and understand them and then, and then put it away. We're not thinking that we're gonna to get to some special state where this is not gonna happen. Um, so I wanted to say, because I don't wanna move to go there. Um, so I wanted to say something about the, the last line of flowers ball. Okamura says, in keeping with the explanation of non-duality, illusion and enlightenment are not fixed things. They exist only in the world of relationship. So flowers and weeds, both developed from seeds or spreading roots, are fed by water, sunlight, nutrition from the earth. They grow, they bloom, they dry out, they die, just like us. Um, neither is inherently good or bad, it just is. So the judgment comes from our own minds. Nishieri says, at the time of delusion, flowers are flowers. At the time of enlightenment, weeds are weeds. And then he says, now this is fun. Why do flowers fall when we love them? And, it, and attachments to the flowers are beautiful. Then they fall and we suffer. How do weeds spread? They spread from feelings of aversion. So falling and falling and blooming are, are a result of love and hate. Originally, there's no blooming and falling. Living things are as they are, how it is. So the cycle arouses feelings and concepts in us that we label and judge. For those who do not fall into duality of love and hate, there's no blooming and falling. Everything is like this. So what we call blooming and falling are based on our, our ordinary views. Chuchiyama includes a poem about weeds, not about weeds, yes, about weeds. He, he, uh, he includes a child's poem about school, a schoolyard. How small it is playing in the, on the school ground. How big it is weeding the school ground. Mm -hmm. So it's the same school ground. And one person, in one circumstance, you name it one way. In the next circumstance, with another point of view, from another angle, it's like taking a picture of something from different angles. They can, depending upon the angle, depending upon your own conditioning, depending upon what's happening to you, at that moment, you can talk, you can think that something is lovely to be there. And that same thing could be annoying and irksome at another time, the very same thing, the very same place, the very same, same experience. So I, um, I had my own experience of weeds in the last couple of years. Um, I have a, a front flower bed. And I was very careful always over the years before the pandemic to 
plant just those flowers in the right places where they were supposed to grow. They said there that this is a flower. It grows here, it grows in shade, it grows with part sun, it grows water, it grows whatever. And I was very careful to do that. And I kind of had a nice garden. And then came winters of pouring rain all the time or winters of drought. That didn't work anymore. And I noticed, um, not this summer, but last summer, all of a sudden, new sprouts were growing. Different plants were growing. And they, they were wildflowers. And they would bloom, and um, most of them were really lovely. And so now I kind of, so I got the idea of, okay, I'm not going to do anything because this year they're going to come up and they're going to be saying these wonderful wildflowers that I can grow in my garden. No, <laughs> this year is a different year. So now new flowers are growing in the garden, and it's, it's like that. Right? And I have a picture of correct garden or beautiful garden, and sometimes the wildflowers come and they're wonderful, and other times they're not. And that's all my opinion. Mm -hmm. Oh, the other thing I was going to mention um, about this, about um, our opinions and our way we see things differently. There was a wonderful uh, documentary at the Museum of Modern Arts on about time. I don't know if anybody saw it. It was, it was like 24 hours of time, of a minute. Somebody went around, I think, I think it were a thousand minutes or something like that. They gathered these minutes and they showed you the minutes. And I was very interested in this and I had my watch. <laughs> and it was really amazing. Each moment felt differently. The experience of each moment. So if you were in a hurry and there was a lot of traffic and you were racing to get somewhere, it took forever. If you were just, um, you know, if you were just gonna, you know, it was it was just an empty street and you're walking, you're happily looking at the flowers and whatever. It was a, nut, a, a very pleasant minute that you were happy with. So this, this idea that we can experience 60 seconds together and we each can experience a different 60 seconds. I just found that was really interesting about opinion and judgments and uh, classifying things. What is a minute? We don't know what a minute is, it's whatever we perceive. So we wanted to hear from you. Um, we had some prompts, which you can use or not, that we sent out. Yeah, if you have any, if you have any. Um, if anybody has a particular question that comes to mind, or we sent out these prompts just to give you an idea of, you know, what sort of questions there are. There, there are limitless questions. And Diane, you'll you'll call anyone any if there's anyone because we're too far away we can't call. Yeah, no trouble. So what do people feel about this leaping clear? What's that experience? Leaping clear. Going beyond dichotomy. 
going beyond opinions, going beyond enlightenment and delusion. How do we do that? Sue O has her hand up. Thank you. Hi, there are 21 people on the screen online. How many people are in the Zendo? About 20. About 20. Okay, we have a good turnout. The question is, um, thank you for refreshing that for me, that question, the prompt. Uh, I, I had some time to think about it when you just presented it. It came, I, I actually wasn't paying attention or really focusing on it, and then I was. And then I heard the question, it's grace when things drop away, leaping beyond or dropping away. I, might, I don't think you can do it. It's not personal. And, it's, and I'm grateful when it happens. So it's an accident. So yeah. I'll call these accidents, right? When you're doing it, right. you're accident prone. Yes. Thank you, Sue. And Ron Nestor's got his hand up. Um, I would say open mind. Having a mind that's just open. What do you think? Definitely. I think there are aha moments. No. There are what moments? Aha moments. Uh, like what? What's, what's the example? Like, like, um, like if I, um, I'm worried. I heard a lecture about a Cohen, and I'm really confused about it, and I've been worried, of, and I've been pondering it and pondering it, and then one day I just sit down in zazen, and the whole question drops away, and I somehow get it, and I can't, couldn't necessarily explain it. Okay. Um, I, I might point at it. I might say it seemed like everything dropped away. I had a fall, a falling feeling in my body, or I could explain that, or I could explain my mind was really busy pondering, and then I gave up the effort of pondering and relaxed. <coughs> Does that happen often? Uh, it happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody's process is probably different. I know for me, if something's bothering me, I'll keep trying to push it away, push it away. Uh, then if I stop and decide to really look at that, what is it that's bothering me? And more often, it, it, it really points back to me. Something. that I don't like, really maybe not have anything to do with the other person. It's really my own, uh, what I want, how I wanted things to be. And then I, then it can fall away, or at least I can loosen the brush. That speaks to the, um, the second prompt, which was, can you think of an example in your own life where you're caught in a situation 
where you were activated and felt desire or aversion. Can you see where there are options for responding? Well, I find that happening sexually all the time. Somebody is a beautiful woman. I see a beautiful woman and I think sex. And I don't say anything yeah. about it. Then, then I just let it go. Obviously, I'm not going to so go you, up and just start doing something. Well, you might not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about a, a, a place where, um, you know, there's some strong activation, a real feeling of clinging, a real feeling of aversion. I don't want to be there. I don't want that. An argument with a close friend the other day, and partway through the argument, I just noticed that I was ready to leave. Like I, I knew that it would probably be disastrous for the argument, but I was just like, I don't want to be here having this argument at the moment. And that was a pretty intense version and a pretty activated space. And and then you, you that that reaction you had could be kind of a. Um, a skillful thing, actually, because um, if you are in a situation where the, it's very tense between you and someone else, and there's all sorts of complicated feelings, it may not be that at that moment it's really appropriate. You need to step back, take a walk, sit zazen. So that's it. Like that. So if you if you step back the way you did, it gives you options. You don't lose your friend. You know, <laughs> you have it unloaded on your friend, and. If it's a good friend, probably the next time you have another chance to see the person, you might be able to actually deal with it. That happened to me with my brother when we were traveling, and it just started out so innocent. And well, what what do you eat? What do you sometimes have for dinner? He's telling me a shake. I said no protein. What's it? No, I said what's in it? They described it. Most of the I said no protein. Need protein. That started a big uh, well. He had a point of view, and um, I just had to say, well, I have my point of view, I just see it differently, but it was really, mm. <laughs> we were on a trip, so I decided to just let it go, but I noticed I had residue, I was hurt, really hurt, so <coughs> uh, then, so the next day I decided, okay, I have to tell him, he knew right away, so it took a little time. Could have slipped, slipped away, and and then those things, you know, they, they, they stay, they're not addressed. I see someone has their uh, hand. I can't. Heather Sarantis has her hand up. Hello, you were you were asking about um, examples of aversion, and I am living with a great deal of aversion right now. <laughs> I have a senior level position at my job and another director left the organization and I'm filling in for that person as well. So I'm doing two senior level positions at the same time. And there's not a lot of give in what has to be done. And so on an almost daily basis, I find myself churning and churning about the ability to stay 
up to speed and do the actual work, but also the mental loop of, I can't believe that I'm expected to deliver. And when I get going like that, I've been grateful for the moments when I can step back and say, the story about my irritation robs me of the energy to actually deliver because that's not changing. <laughs> so if I want to use my energy wisely, getting some distance from the narrative of I wish things were different than they than they are actually frees me up quite a bit. So I'm wrestling with this daily and uh trying to sort of snap snap the elastic band on my wrist to like snap out of it <laughs> yes but you saw some clarity right in your way and sometimes the clarity lasts for 10 seconds and sometimes it lasts for a couple hours but even 10 seconds is a relief yes great story thank you rich it seems like this freedom that we're talking about that can come from keeping clear of the many of the one like it's it, it's frightening in a way to me at least like it's it, it almost seems like a radical equanimity to sort of deal with weeds and flowers to see them equally and i don't know sometimes if i want to like there's an exhilaration from seeing a beautiful flower right and knowing that it's temporary and that's like life something about seeing these contrast give context to a beautiful flower coming up so sometimes i think i don't want you know that you know sometimes i don't want i don't know if i want this freedom mm. that's what sojin's talking about when he says we want that's that's how we're used to living our life like that you know where we you're surrounded by the world of desire and everybody's trying to sell us something and say this is better than that and asking us to make these these comparisons and judgments is and yet you can you can totally you can see beyond the falling of the flower in other words the idea is to appreciate the flower totally but knowing you know underneath you know it's going to not be there you're going to buy this expensive thing of flowers mm -hmm. put them in your house and you know, within a certain number of days, the water gets murky, they start the leaves start dry, you know, it's gonna happen, it's inevitable. So that's the difference. You love, I mean, it's not that you shouldn't buy beautiful flowers. It's just that you can't get angry with the beautiful flowers <laughs> when they when they die. That's the difference. Your relationship with the with the um, the flower. You allow the flower to be the flower. Now, weeds are a little more tricky. Aversions? Yeah, are they? I don't know. I think it varies. Um, but I wanted to call on Tara and Jim. Yeah. Yeah, um, someone here too. Okay, and then. And Zach after after Taryn. Or Jim. Can people online hear the questions? Can you hear us? Can the questions? Yeah. Yes. Okay, because we yes. can speak it if not. I've, I've told this story to a couple people in here, but one of my favorite examples of this like being activated and getting caught in desire and aversion was two years ago, I moved from Berkeley to Richmond. 
and I commuted into San Francisco. And so I had been commuting from North Berkeley, and then I started commuting from Richmond. And the first day that I did the commute from Richmond, I got on the BART train, and over the course of the 40-minute BART ride, I went from being like, this commute's really long. Oh my gosh, I'm on the train for so long. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to quit my job, or I'm going to have to move. And by the time I got up on the other side in San Francisco, I was on the verge of tears, like <laughs> ready to figure out quitting my job or like I'm on going on Zillow and being like, I have to move, what am I going to do? And I came out, got into the sunshine and then remembered that my commute had increased in length by five minutes. I was so deep in it that I'm contemplating this radical life change. And so, well, that doesn't still happen. Um, I still struggle with my commute and with living further away from Berkeley because I have a lot of community here. And what I was thinking about was this question of like, how can we use it to benefit us? I'm trying to shift some of my thinking with it where I still mentally go into complaining about it and being like, it'd be so much more convenient if I lived across the street from there. But if I lived there, there would be something else I'm complaining about. So like, I'm just thinking about it like, yeah. this is, it gives me a thing to practice with. So during my 15 minute drive here, that's apparently so intolerable, I can, I can deal with that over and over and over again. And there would be something else if I lived two yeah, minutes away. I like, I like what you say, there's gonna, there'll be a replacement. Yeah. Um, Jim, and then um, take the first one. We've got, yeah, we've got, okay. Um, I was thinking that in attachment, we create the blossoms, right? We, we, we choose what we're attached to in some way, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And naturally, we're going to lose them. And in the same way, we create the weeds. And I was reminded of a story a friend told me many, many years ago. He lived out in Concord or um, Walla Creek, actually. And he came into Berkeley with some children, his uh, fiancé's uh, children and the kids were horrified by the way Berkeley looked like these gardens are mishmashed they're ugly they don't match <laughs> nothing matches and my feeling about cookie cutter suburbs is that they're they're kind of weed like you know all these boxy houses springing up but maybe jumping clear than many of the one is to take a bigger picture yes. and see if you know, maybe something that looks like a weed isn't a flower or vice versa. Or appreciate, yeah, yeah. yeah. appreciate the, you know, the intricacy of the little flower, you know, yeah. or the weed. Maybe the, you know, maybe the weed, the shape or the weed work. Well, you got in touch too with your, your, your own biases. Yeah, I have them. Your own preferences. <laughs> this, this is good. Yes, this is good. And Zach Sherman. Oh, your last Zach. Hi. Me? Can you hear me? Yes. Um, I think Jim might have answered my question. I wanted to, I wanted to ask what a weed is and what a flower is. Because <laughs> it seems like one can quickly become the other. <laughs> um, and the texture of them is probably more interesting than just the label. Um, a weed is what we call a weed. Well, or maybe you, you should substitute something that you love, maybe a dish that we uh, But I don't love it all the time. Like, it's so temporal and contextual. Um, the corn in the garden is falling over, and we're going to pull it out. And the squash is getting covered in mold. So it's a weed now. 
I guess what I'm confused about, though, is it seemed, well, maybe not confused about, but what I would like to delve into further is that all, that, like, desire and aversion is arising, like, in a moment. It, it isn't fixed either, um, I think. And, I th yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what my question was, but I kind of wanted someone to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is all about your own made-up world, you know, and, and it's funny when you look at your own made-up world and recognize how often it is that you have created, you know, a trouble for yourself. I mean, the thing about weeds that one of, the, one of the authors pointed out was, you know, we don't like certain weeds and yet farmers in certain areas use those weeds to feed the crops. So they love the weeds. They don't really probably call them weeds, they call them plants that nourish and bring, bring nitrogen into the soil. So there you have a you know, really good example of the, you know, if we have a green lawn and it has to be just so, which because we want it to be just so, then that weed is something we don't want. But that doesn't mean that weed is bad. That just, mean, that just means that we don't want it. It's our preference. So it's different. That's where you're discovering your angel column. Everybody's going to have it. Um, I just say, uh, let's take poison oak. Mm -hmm. um, we're pretty clear, right? Except that for a lot of living beings, poison oak is a really great habitat, a very healthy, helpful plant. And it can be beautiful, but mostly we're averse to it. Oh, so I was thinking out in the wild, or even if you're driving on the freeway, when you have a distance from, you're at a distance from weeds, you can't tell the difference between weeds and flowers. And the weeds actually help to hold the hillside so it doesn't erode. Um, and then more locally, like the weeds in the compost pile help the compost pile to, um, you know, transform into wonderful compost. So I think it was somebody online that was talking about getting distance from what our, what our aversions are. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably true with anything is yeah. that if we can, and that's what we do in Zazen is get some distance mm -hmm. from those things. And, and you know the other the other one of my favorites is just a question mark. Is this really is this really bad? This is my opinion. Did you have something? Dean, yeah. Dean Bradley online. I just wanted to say just a tag team, which is good for me a very helpful question. It's the whole question. Well, what does it mean to leap beyond the one and the many? Mm -hmm. And me that has to do with can I see something without my ideas about it? Can I just accept it? Can I see this life form, whatever it is, or this incident or this person, just for what it is, separate 
from my, of course, I'm going to have reactions and more like and dislike things. But when those are strong, I try and step back from them and just see what's there. Like looking at your watch and saying, oh, it's really only five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> helpful. Yeah. Beyond my opinion. Uh, D. Yes, thank you. Um, so, Carol, I'm going to ask you about something specifically that you said. You know, we're talking about weeds and flowers, and this is the this is the weed and the flower, but a, a more life experience. And you had said something about when you were with your brother, and he said something about having a milkshake, and you were like, "Oh no, a milkshake." you should have protein. That's not protein. And I'm wondering, because that seemed like it may have been a weed for you. And I'm wondering if you looked at it that way, because I know you said that you would had felt hurt. And I'm wondering if you saw that as him saying something he liked, but to you, it was a weed. But to him, maybe it was a flower. Well, I think it was really all about our points of view. He thought his point of view was right, and I did too. And uh, being a practitioner, I stepped back and said, well, we just have different points of view. Because I could see it was escalating into some anger. And so then he went into, well, that's science. I'm into <laughs> science, and so I know I'm right. So I thought, oh, okay, I just kind of went in the bathroom and said, well, what's your point of view? What's your point of view? <laughs> but isn't that sort of what we do when, you know, we're out gardening and someone says, well, pull that up. That's a weed. And, you know, maybe I like to see the yellow oxalis flowers, even though I don't really. But um, so isn't that the same thing as that sort of, like being a weed and it comes down to um i think jerry said something about accepting perhaps that you know i i think this plant is a weed and someone else thinks it's a flower isn't that sort of the experiential part is like the situation you were in that you thought one way and he thought another that you saw it as a weed, and he saw it as a milkshake, as a flower. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's you know it's just I think both we both needed to recognize. Well, we just we just see things differently, mm -hmm. and it's okay. And did you did you feel like you made it to that place as opposed to him being wrong because you know what what right-minded healthy person is going to have milkshake for dinner as opposed to that just being he just sees it differently did it actually because I, I could see something like that could be difficult if you felt strongly about healthy eating that it would be difficult to adjust to someone saying no this is the way so I'm, I'm just curious about that Actually, the whole thing didn't become important. What, but what became important was our relationship. I don't really care if he has a food drink for dinner. 
And I don't care, and I, and I had my point of view, but I saw what was really valuable was not breaking our relationship, but to create some harmony. Now, I did carry some hurt, but I was able to tell them that. And, and so, so that sounds, okay, so that sounds like if, if, if someone, myself or someone is caught in that, you know, but, but this is vexing me that sometimes it doesn't, um, maybe it comes down to what's most important is me not suffering about these two things. You know, this is a flower or no, it's not a flower, it's a weed. It sounds like rather than, uh, it, sometimes it just comes down to, it sounds like it comes down to maybe recognizing something else that is more important and that might be the the sensation of not arguing about it the sensation of thinking of recognizing something else is more important or even not having the suffering from this weed flower thing to just sort of instead of say okay the weeds and flowers the same is to just say the the there's no value in this because all it's doing is causing suffering. Yes, right. We have just we have one goal. being right. We oh. have one one last. I guess you only if you have something to say, and then we'll move on. I feel like the using the word like beyond doesn't work for me because it it implies some sort of separation between you and your preferences and your aversion. And I feel like what works better for me is asking, is, is my life only about my preferences and aversions? And I feel like that is one of the things I learned from Zazen is like, oh, my life isn't just about me meeting my preferences all the time. Like sitting here and taking it all in is much more what my life is about. And that what what Zachary and Rich both said made me feel like each of those things is somehow both a moment, like a preference is both a moment and but a preference is a moment, but a life is a sort of a totality. And um, they kind of in, they include one another. Yes, but that that actually is what beyond is. In other words, the beyond is the beyond of the duality. The beyond of this is right, this is wrong, this is this, this is that. It's beyond that to include all of it. So you're expanding your awareness and you're expanding your acceptance, mind of acceptance of whatever it is. That's going beyond the normal duality of opinions and preferences. But you're not getting rid of. No, you're right? not. Getting you're rid still of like enjoying. You're still enjoying your preferences. That's right. You. you you're enjoying them until you're not. <laughs> we have to stop on this one, otherwise we won't get to any of the others. So, um, section four, you know, and, and you know what we talked about those 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 first um, sections are the meat of the Yendo Koan. So we start to move out towards taking subsets, uh, taking separate points, and rotating around the same. The same concepts over and over again. So this, the fourth section is to carry to carry ourself 
or thus self-forward and illuminate, illuminate myriad things as delusion. That myriad things come forth and illuminate the self is awakening. That's one translation. Another one is conveying oneself towards all beings and carrying out practice enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out enlightenment through self-realization, through the self is realization. Say that one again, please. All things coming and carrying out practice enlightenment through the self is realization. So, um, Sojin in his in his talks always talks about um, carrying carrying the self forward in ego is egocentricity or self-centeredness. The delusion is to see ourselves only as separate, a separate subject surrounded by an objective world we experience as other, oblivious of the basic oneness which is shared by all. So carrying ourselves forward means putting the self forward, me as an individual. I, it's an I. It's about me, what I think, what I am, what I want. And I see everything through that lens. Chokamora says, within consciousness, reality is distorted. And we don't, don't see things as they are. That is delusion. A true practice is not the self, but all beings. To practice is to awaken to the self that is connected to all beings, or to the 10,000 dharmas. And as the first section of all dharmas are Buddha dharma, we are never separate. We're part of everything. In Zazen, we let go of our thoughts, let go of our consciousness, we actualize the self that is connected to all dharmas, not the self, but is a separate self. So when we, when we practice, we open to the totality of coming and going, the universal arising and ceasing of things in the world, in ourselves. We open to that. So we, when we do that, we can drop body and mind and we can drop the self. But if we, but if we have, if we sit, and if we, um, if we get attached to our view, our mind, what we think, our stories, the stories that our consciousness makes up, our conditioning, our conditioned reactions, we can't get past the conditioned reactions and the stories we tell ourselves and our own egos, egocentric. I like this. I don't like that. That I. That self-centeredness, it Sojin felt was the crux of our difficulties in practice. And this, this section really challenges us to look at that. How can I not, how can I see something that's outside my mind? I can't believe my my mind. It's my mind. Not your understanding, but my, it's my understanding. So true practice is not the self, but all beings. And to practice, um, and to practice with the idea of an interconnectedness, the coming, arising, ceasing, that is always happening. That is reality, not 
I did this, you did that. That that's that, that's separating. That's my mind creating objects out there, subjects out there. I'm objectifying them. So that's really what the problem, the essence of this thing is. So when we uh, when we allow things to arise and cease, that is myriad beings bringing forth the Dharma. All we have to do is be present and see it. We can't ignore it because everything has origination. Everything is no separate self. Everything is impermanent. Everything is arising and ceasing because of causes and conditions. Everything. So nothing. We can't have we have nothing to grab onto. That's that's also what happens when we leave clear. We have nothing to hold up. Nothing. So that you want to say something first, Carol? Well, I'll, uh, I'm going to put it in my own words, which might sound a little bit the same, the way I see it. So, again, the sentence, to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. Well, let's just take that first, as Jerry talked about. That's us, the little me, wanting, you know, in charge of my life. And... I want to make things happen. And uh, it's all based on my distorted ideas. This self, you know, my limited, because my mind is so limited. And I, it's, you know, I'm doing it through my willpower, my effort. And it requires a lot of energy, effort, to, you know, trying to run our life as an individual. And so in that way, we're, we're carrying forward our distorted ideas. It's just continuing that cycle. And uh, it's full of delusions. You really pierce through and look at your ideas, our thoughts. So much is based on our own beliefs, uh, things that we learned as children, we just as accepted. And that's what we're, we're carrying forth in, in our life. And <clears throat> So we create, we create these stars. We create them through our senses. Sight, smell, taste, touch. All of those senses is where all of our, our actions are coming from. So it's good to look at what are those things that are driving these, these delusions. So that second sentence of this that myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. Uh, I was just looking at some of the other uh, way they say it. The way Suzuki Roshi says it is that things advance and understand themselves. That is enlightenment. It is Buddhists who understand ignorance. So we're always self-centered. That's just the way it is. It's very hard to get. Maybe we have a moment of not being self-centered. But now we recognize it. We can recognize we're deluded. And we can even maybe laugh about it. Oh, there I go again. With that story of mine, or that delusion I had. So we might be able to loosen our grip. 
a little bit on our control of our life and the way we think we see things uh, and let, let things you know unfold as Uchiyama says just uh, opening the hand of thoughts letting some of those old thoughts go away and then you know it allows to have some insights and into our own baggage that we carry and we all have our baggage it's good to look at that baggage to see what 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 we what we don't really need anymore. What have we been carrying for sometimes our whole life, and it's really not serving us anymore. But of course, it's an attachment we've always dealt with. But this is an opportunity when we see those those delusions to start to look at it and perhaps let it. And our vision, you know, can really widen our clarity. That's what happens when we start looking at these things. Oh, didn't see it that way. Even, even in spite of our delusions, because we're always going to be delivered. So now let's let's see if anybody has any questions about that, and then we'll give you some prompts. Oh, Judy. Yeah. Um, I remember, uh, I think it was Akamura Roshi who was once talking about Uchiyama Roshi's um, teaching of opening the hand of thought. And he emphasized that that's not a willful action. So, in, for instance, in Zazen, um, this business of welcoming thoughts not inviting them to tea, that that too, it's not a willful choice. It's just naturally what happens in Zazen. So thought, thought, bell rings. I don't remember any of that because I, it's the whole universe and, you know, whatever that might be. And so, this is a really important point because otherwise um, there could be a misunderstanding that we're um, willing things to happen, including letting go. And I remember when I heard that, that was a real opening. And so I find that I return to that when I feel of the quality of grasping or pushing away, it somehow makes it more body practice than a conceptual idea of what I am calling aversion, for instance. So I wonder how you experience, if you will, not getting caught in the idea or the weeds of conceptualizing what is, for instance, aversion and more in the physicality opening the hand of God. Well, I think this, uh, you know, you pointed to the Zazen, and that, I think, is where that can happen. You know, the effort's not there. Things are arising, maybe think thoughts. Something, something does shift, so, you know, the grip on things maybe shifts. 
happened in, in, in our daily life too. It's, a, it's, it's letting go, isn't it? It's a letting go. Sometimes when we're holding so tight, we have no choice but to just let go. Oh, you should. Yeah, I just, I think I talked a bit. My experience is not an either or. I mean, we have to train our minds. We have to have some awareness of ourselves and our proclivities and our preferences. We have to train our, we have to train our minds to be aware of our, our aversions and our desires. But when we sit zazen, we're not doing that. But we're otherwise, zazen creates a field of awareness or openness or responsiveness. We still have to bring our awareness. I feel like they go hand in hand. And actually, Chiyama talks about it in, in his life story as conveying oneself forward, um, putting oneself forward, or making an effort to be something. He talks about doing something with a gaining idea. So if we do something, um, a kind of practice thing with a gaining idea, so I must let go, right? or I must open my hand with the idea that I will be enlightened when I do that. When, when the minute the ego gets in there and says, I must do this in order to really understand, I must do this to get ahead in Zen practice, he talks about his gaining idea and how he had to let go of the gaining idea. So it's not, so that's the, that's the, it's another, another kind of attachment or identification with the idea, identification, giving it more meaning than just opening the hand of thought. It's, all, it's adding that extra, I'm opening the hand of thought. Isn't that great? We've got several online hand okay. um, we'll start with with dean let's start with mary and then dean and then um rich rich thank you i when i read this i wonder how it tells me how to get through my day so i think about i mean i think about it in terms of how does this how does this instruction translate into the nitty gritty of how we live through a 24 hour period? And so I say to carry myself forward and experience the myriad things, I, I'm thinking that is me deciding, you know, how I'm going to, how much news I'm going to take in today and how much I'm going to drive or how much, how many people I see or how I relate to the people I see or how much I, what I feel about all of that. If I allow the myriad things to arise, what does that mean? How do I, how, how do I experience the myriad things arising when we are exposed in our life to so much of what's happening? so much more than Dogen ever imagined we could imagine about what's happening in the world, like what's happening in Gaza and what happened at the hospital. And how, how, how do I let those myriad things exist? How do I let them arise 
in my day as opposed to my saying how I want to feel about that. I mean, it it feels to me like that's, isn't, am I reading that wrong? Isn't that the question here is, how do we decide how no, we actually, it's not position true. ourselves versus how do we experience everything else? It's really the nature of how we relate to things that he's talking about, not not the number of things. It's 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 whether we we convey ourselves as a separate person with all sorts of ideas and and um, and judgments and definitions, making setting me as a as a person. So that I'm the center of the universe. Then right. I do my day. Right. Start the show. Right. Right. It's not that. So that's the first part. That's the first part, right? Yeah. So, so tell me, the, the what's the second part? part? That's my that's question. A, that's the kind of world of phenomena and illusion, right? But if if I just meet everything, if I'm aware, instead of my mind racing about what I'm going to do and what what's right and what's wrong and what I should listen to, it's kind of encountering things and actually being curious about what we're encountering moment to moment and letting that just be. Yeah. And uh, and I and I guess what I'm what I'm suggesting is that in the context in the life that we're living, what we encounter is pretty big and dramatic, and it's not just easy to let it be. Well, it's but it's our it's our choice too. In other words, we can we can go on social media or not. We can read. It. How how does our choice then not become about me, and how I do my day? See what I mean? I'm I. I, I how do I live with the pain that is just presented on a daily basis? Yeah, I think this is where your practice comes in. You take things in, you do feel it. You yeah. do feel it. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, as Buddhists, uh, we, we sit, we, we chant, we do things that we feel we act out in the world the way that we want to. We don't turn away, so you can't. Maybe if you have to decide what you can take in, how much before you. I mean, I I, I think this is a radical instruction because it, it really is facing everything. Mm -hmm. It is a radical, but facing it mm -hmm. or not with. Or, or think or imagining that I have control over it. Yeah. So facing it, you know, within our practice, remembering we're all connected. So tapping into that absolute aspect, that impermanence, that we're all connected and in this together. Right. Right. Touches us as it touches everyone. So these are uh, difficult times. Thank you. Practice. There was more. There was a few more people already yes. in the queue, okay. right? and we only have ten minutes. So this, this, there was a queue of people. There was like yes. Dean and then Rich, I think. Rich was no Dean was next. No, he talked. Let's have Dean, Rich, and then, uh, but we want to get to the last Rich one, and we have we only have ten minutes. Maybe. So keep that okay. Yeah. Dean and then Rich. Um, I recently, this is what it sounds like to me. I recently read something and it says, 
when there isn't samadhi, the self is not forgotten. In other words, it's not that there is no self, but rather that when there is samadhi, the self is forgotten. Then the self is forgotten in that the sense that samadhi is an unself-consciousness state of consciousness. It's unlike self-conscious reflective consciousness. And it reminded me, that reminded me of, I think it was Judy, that it, instead of getting caught in the weeds or the flowers, there's this other thing. And that's what I was talking about. That's what I was trying to talk about before. There's this other thing to just go with the other thing. Don't go with, let go of the weeds, let go of the flowers. Just go with the samadhi. Just go with the freedom. So that that's that's as short as I can keep it. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, thanks yeah, I think maybe to sort of continue that thought from Dean, that sometimes there's, I was at a conference this past weekend, and there were all these people that I didn't know, and I was like fully engaged in talking to them, and meeting them, and presenting myself, and it was exhausting, but I felt like I was, like, it was only after the fact that I was exhausted, it was only after the fact that I saw that I was able to sort of meet each moment and each person, and wholehearted in that, in that, uh, in those interactions, that's not like the usual case for me. Like there's often times where it's, I do have to, Wait, can you speak up a little bit? yeah, I do have to, in the moment, like, be like, I'm working with this precept right now, or, um, I, I can certainly invite my thoughts to tea and zazen, and I often do, and so sometimes it is a sort of cutting of that, like it's a, it, it's not always this one sitting, you know, sitting, um, I often have to return to my breath, always have to return to my breath, I always often have to cut off delusions and fantasies and all of these things that are happening, so, you know, sometimes it, it comes in and goes, I just, I just maybe want to clarify that, for me at least, there is a conscious, you know, I, uh, um, using a thorn to remove a thorn, There's also a nature of how you relate. So if the, if the way you relate is by categorizing the thing in front of you and having opinions about the thing in front of you and getting caught in your mental activity behind merely listening and paying attention to what's in front of you, then, then, you're, then you're carrying, when you're, when, you're, when you're carrying all that baggage, when we meet somebody, that's conveying the self. But when we just meet people as you did, unself, you know, unselfconsciously, open to who they are, to who that, that is, what that is, what is that, what is that, who is that, the questions, not opinions, then we don't get caught in our own mind. We're opening to more than our own. Uh, grasping mind or our mind, uh, our mind, our conceptual mind. We're just letting it happen in a way. But that doesn't mean we're not going to go back and forth because we do. I mean, we, we, of course we do. You know? We go into, oh yeah, I don't like that. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. But it's reminding ourselves that we want to not miss a really wonderful moment of awakening that we could have had by by locking ourselves up in some story we're telling ourselves. 
So I think that's where it really is jumping free. It's where, you know, again, like leaping, leaping, leaping past our ordinary responses, our conditioned responses to, to an opening. We just have a few minutes, so we'll move on to the last uh, item se session. Session. <clears throat> uh, okay. <clears throat> section five. So, section five. Those who have great realization of delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded about realization are sentient beings. Further, there are those who continue realizing beyond realization, who are in delusion throughout delusion. So my thoughts about that, uh, well, as I said, we're always in delusion. <clears throat> now, whether we're a sentient being or a Buddha, and, but we recognize it. We know this. And, and by widening our thinking, we can hold both delusion and enlightenment. It's like form and emptiness. We hold them both. We're holding both delusion in our form and enlightenment in our uh, uh, enlightenment in our you know the, the uh, absolute. So you know, in our vows, we say. We're going to save all beings. Now we know that's a delusion. We can't do that. And yet, we know it's impossible, and yet we do it. We do it day after day. And because we're putting that effort forward, because we that's our practice. We want to support them. So even in our delusions, we keep going. And that second sentence of those, there are those who are enlightened about enlightenment and those who are ignorant of ignorance, that's the Suki Goshi's. <clears throat> but the way I see that is this happens, you know, really before that dualistic thinking begins. It's, it's kind of like that unborn mind, the unborn that Kozan, Kozan was talking about a couple weeks ago. It's <clears throat> before there's any discrimination, any thoughts, our beliefs, all those judgments, there is that uh, realizing beyond realization. So just kind of in summary, there's really no, no end to our enlightenment. It just goes on and on. There's just, it's, it's our, and there's no end to our wisdom. Because the more we practice, this just deepens and widens. And we follow the precepts in our life. And uh, <clears throat> um, it, and it's through caring for everybody on our planet, every person and everything on our planet. Uh, you know, Uchi only talks about living out the real life. What is the real life? What is the real life? Well, I want to stop because I want to give Jerry three minutes. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Jerry. It's okay. 
<laughs> Lay it on. I can really. It's, it's okay. So uh, I just wanted to uh, share some of um, some of what um, Sojin shared in a in a 1999 talk that I thought um, was helpful. Um, he said, "In our zazen, we let go of our egocentric selves and become one with the total interpenetrating reality that is the universe." or absolute reality. To realize that there is no fundamental separation between myself as a subject and the 10,000 interdependent dharmas. The whole universe is responsible for my existence. To see ourselves in whatever it is we meet is enlightenment. It is said that the fool sees himself while the sage sees other as self. Sojin says, is there another way of looking at these two sentences? It's the self that turns all dharmas. When dharmas advance, and then dharmas advance, the dharmas turn into self. Well, that sounds like a gibberish, right? When there is another way of looking at these sentences, it's that the self does advance, and dharma advances as well. So we're so, so there is a, an interaction with our understanding of the dharmas and our, also ourselves. So there's a, there's a dance going on between our, our, our separate self, our ego self, and our dharmic self and, our, and, our, and the dharma. So this is a kind of a dance that we do. And that shapes our life, and, and sometimes it tips one way, and we get caught in ourselves, and other times it, tip, it tips another way, and we get lost in the, uh, in the, in the world of emptiness. Um, and the idea is that we hold it all. We hold it both. And we do the dance. One comes forward. We come forward. Myriad things come forward back and forth constantly. So there is no one place. It's not like those who are, you know, certain people are going to be Buddhists, and then the other people are never going to get to be Buddhists. <laughs> we are all Buddhists and not Buddhists. So that's the non-duality. We, we, we have, you know, I always think about people as, each of us has the capacity to be the most wonderful person, and each of us has the to be the most horrible person from moment to moment. That's what we know. That's that's what reality is and can be. So how do you deal with that not knowing and that changing constantly? You keep tabs on. So just kind of to end this week, just continue to think about what is your schedule going on? What is important in your life? Yeah. Do you want to do the four vows? Yeah. 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 I think we should. Yes. Yeah. So, we are comfortless. I love to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma days are boundless. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I
Thanks, everyone, for coming, and we'll see you next week. Thank, Thank you. you, and I'm sure it's Thank totally you. clear, so. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>